list we're pleased to have as our speaker tonight the teacher at the Twining Vines Zen Center from Canberra, Australia, who uh, is well known to us and and uh, it's nice to see a good friend on the screen again. Thank you very much, Nitti. Thank you, Patrick. And I know everybody on the screen. Everybody here I know. So good to see you all. We recently had uh, Rohatsu session here in Canberra and we brought the forms that I learned from Santa Cruz to the Australian shores and people here are falling in love with them. So this is how the Dharma moves on across the world and across time. Uh, there's a book called Entwining Vines or Entangling Vines, a collection of koans. And there's a beautiful koan in here I'd like to talk about today or, or use as a uh, Sort of a stepping off point. It goes like this. It's case 71, Nantang's Other Realms. In his ten admonitions, Nantang Yanjing said, work actively for the salvation of beings in other realms. And I'd like to read these ten admonitions even though I'm only going to speak on two of them. And the reason I'd like to just read them out is because sometimes we hear a phrase and it kind of just sinks into our body. Uh, a little bit like the way oxygen travels through the blood and, and animates our muscles. Sometimes the phrase can just sink into our body and, and animate our minds with Dharma wisdom. And so these 10 admonitions, and it's admonitions uh, can sound harsh, but if we think of it as just a strong portion or a strong encouragement, because we all have such a tendency to fall into delusion, here are 10 strong Kind of pointers on on ways to avoid falling into delusion or staying on the path of wisdom and I'll, I'll i'll say i'll number them so number one have faith that there is a separate teaching transmitted outside the sutras This is good for us to know because it means we don't actually have to read anything specific or be trained in any particular way that there is a separate transmission outside the sutras that's available to all of us that we find 
inside ourselves, the inside and the outside of ourselves. Uh, the gap between inside and outside collapses and we find it ourselves. Number two, attain a firm understanding of this separate transmission. So when we experience it, we have to develop a firm understanding of this separate transmission, which is days and years of practice bumping up against the world, being tempted to fall into delusion and managing some of the time not to and seeing the positive effect of that, being tempted to fall into dualistic thinking, managing what to, seeing the benefit of that, building our faith in these teachings. And the third one, which is the one I'm going to speak about mostly tonight, know the unity of the Dharma teaching of the sentient and the Dharma teaching of the non-sentient. So we'll come back to that one. <laughs> Number four, see into your self-nature vividly and clearly and be firm and steady in your step. When we do see into our self-nature vividly and clearly, we do become firm and steady in our step. We fall in love with ourselves, not as separate beings, but as part of a unified whole. And we become confident and clear and firm in our step without leaving a trace. It's not a heavy step. It's a very light step, light, but, but clear, confident. Possess the discerning Dharma eye. That's a very good idea. Number six, practice in a way that you leave no traces being firm in your commitment to the Dharma. And in many ways, our commitment to the Dharma is to simply show up in the life and to show up in whatever arises in front of us whatever troubles come across our path, to show up for them. That's how we can be firm in our commitment. Achieve a balance of practice and understanding. I think that's a good caution for us, just to be careful not to get too intellectual about any of this, just to find a balance between just sitting in Sazen, just making a cup of tea, and studying the Dharma. Number eight, drop false doctrines and promote correct ones. In our minds, I would add, this is not about uh, telling anyone else how to be or criticizing anybody else's practice or anyone else's beliefs or understanding. Just drop false doctrines and promote correct ones in our own mind and the body will follow. Possess great ability. All of us do have great abilities. We just need to let them come forward, each our own unique abilities. And then the last one, number 10, which I'll also speak a little bit about, 
works actively in the different realms of existence. Or the way it's translated in the koan itself is work actively for the salvation of beings in other realms. So this third admonition or strong kind of guiding statement to us is know the unity of the Dharma teachings of the sentient and the Dharma teachings of the non-sentient. The Dharma teachings of the sentient, we start from the most obvious, Shakyamuni Buddha, all the ancestors, right down to our current time, the teachings transmitted face to face, the teachings written down and shared, experienced together in zendos and temples all around the world. Our living teachers, our emerging teachers. Teachers are emerging all the time. They're emerging in sanghas. They're just emerging in the world. Our sangha is our teacher. If we let it be, it's the greatest teacher ever, the sangha. Sometimes a difficult teacher, but we need difficulty in many ways. Difficulty, we don't invite difficulty, but what difficulty, things are difficult because we are seeing things dualistically. We're seeing things without intimacy. So when we get a difficulty, it's a great opportunity to go, how am I looking at this in a way that's making it a little harder for me than it needs to be? So it's a great opportunity. Our society, our culture, our families, all of these are teaching us the Dharma if we let, if we let them. They're banging on our door. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. It doesn't, doesn't always look that way. But if we look at things with a Dharma eye, we see the Dharma being expounded to us by all the sentient beings. Animals, insects, plants, these are all sentient beings. We're learning more and more about how sentient plants turn out to really be how social they turn out to really be. We know, of course, that animals are sentient beings. And in the same way, we're learning more and more of just how sentient they truly are. Even the ones that we tended to think didn't have a lot of sentience, turns out they do. Every living being wants to stay alive and wants to not suffer every single one there's not a single living being that isn't interested in maintaining its own existence when we really contemplate that we it can uh, cause a lot of 
warmth and compassion to arise in us, just how all these living beings are managing to be alive because they want to be. And they're no different to us in that, in that way, no different to us at all. And when we uh, pay attention to all the sentience around us, of which there is a great amount, there's sentience everywhere. There are living beings, feeling beings everywhere. Even though in our culture we've created environments that often have very little living life in them, like inside houses and inside offices, still, if we look carefully, we'll see that they're there. There's little spiders, there's potted plants, there's bits of mold <laughs> growing on things. We can appreciate them, no matter how tiny, we can really appreciate them and let them teach us the Dharma. When we look at them, we can look at them and if we want to turn it into words, we can turn it into words. We can say, we can look at them and think about impermanence, for example. And really just contemplate impermanence in relation to this little sentient being that we are looking at. Or think about interdependence. If we look at interdependence long enough and closely enough, we discover that there's no edge between one being and another being, and that helps us start to really see the emptiness of our self, that there's no self. There's just this, uh, there's just this movement, it's like a constellation of things that's always moving. We're like a rivulet of water. We're not a specific thing. You can't pick up that rivulet of water and put it somewhere. It's just uh, an appearance. It's in flux. It's constantly changing, but we can look at it and we can even give it a name. So that's what we're like. And that's what all the sentient beings are like. So looking at sentient beings can teach us about no self. And there's a huge relief when we realize that we don't exist as a separate entity. It's a great, great relief to let go of self-concern, let go of the habit of self-concern. We do need a little bit of self-concern. We have to make sure that we eat enough and we get enough sleep and that we're not too cold and not too hot and that we have uh, social contact and ways to use our minds creatively and intellectually. We need to take care of all of that. Of course, we do do that. We can drop self-concern, not be preoccupied with what do I think of myself, what do other people think of me. And that is actually one of the lovely things, looking at uh, little sentient creatures like pets, like dogs are a great example, and cats. They're not really, they don't have a lot of self-concern. It's very nice to learn from them about that. I would often say that about Jiao Jiao when I lived at Wanangin, School Street, how we'd sit on the windowsill looking out there, watching people go by, 
and wasn't all worried about when any, whether anybody thought he was lazy or not. It just was not a concern of his at all. He was perfectly happy and perfectly confident, spending all day doing nothing in particular. And when we learn to forget about ourselves and, and not have too much self-concern, automatically that kind of flows into no other. There's no self, there's no other. And then we feel this kind of warm connection with everything. The other, the other half of emptiness is oneness. Emptiness and oneness, two ways of saying the same thing. That's what we can do with sentient life. There's lots to learn from it. But here it also talks about the unity of the Dharma teaching of the sentient and the Dharma teachings of the non-sentient. And maybe learning from the non-sentient life is a little less obvious to us. Maybe if we think about the... Uh, the most obvious places like our sutra books in the zendo or the incense being offered at the altar or the smoke rising up from the incense the ash in the incenser the candles in the zendo the flame of the candles i think all of us have spent time in a zendo observing those things and somehow feeling taught by them. We just rest with them and we are taught by them. The Zendo itself. It's not an accident that Zendos look the way they look. They, the way we build Zendos helps them transmit the Dharma to us. We look at the clear vertical lines and the clear horizontal lines. There's a sharpness about that and a clarity about vertical and horizontal. It can wake us up, see vertical and horizontal. Our nose is horizontal. No, our nose is vertical and our eyes are horizontal. We're not that different. We're not that different to the structures in our own zendos. Our faces are not that different. So we can be, we can be taught by the zendo. And of course, it's somewhere beautiful. It's easier with things that are beautiful in many ways. Like at Santa Cruz, the pathway coming in and the rocks, and the lichen that's on the rocks and the moss that's in the cracks. And sometimes I remember, uh, the, the petals from the plum tree falling on the rocks, all the little white petals all over the rocks, so beautiful. All of that can be teaching us the sky, clouds. We can look at them in a way we can, we can look at them as metaphors, it's helpful too. Like we can think of the sky as a clear, bright mind and the clouds going past like our thoughts. It's beautiful to use these uh, non-sentient beings as metaphors and images for us.
but also just as they are, just simply seeing the bright sky, seeing the clouds. I was camping the other day just by myself, which was a nice thing to do, right outside a beautiful river, was well, a creek that was cascading down towards an enormous waterfall. And I was watching how the water cascades down and then it kind of likes to be level and still for as long as possible. It seems to really enjoy that. Then it cascades down a little bit and then it's all nice and flat and seems to really like just being all nice and flat and then it cascades down. I was just watching that water's tendency to move towards being still. But of course, just like our lives, it doesn't work that way. It's still for a bit and then troubles come, cascades come. <laughs> and off we go again. And then we get still again, like in bed at night. Busy, busy day, solving lots of problems. Ah, oh, I get to go to bed at night. It's like the water coming down and then settling for a little bit before the next cascade. Waves, mountains. Also just things like cups in our house. This is my non-spilling cup because I destroyed my last laptop by spilling water on it a few months ago. And so I've got a special cup that doesn't, it's not that special, but it doesn't spill very easily. And I just really like this cup every day. I like this cup. And the one I had before that spilt was one that I got from Tassajara, which I brought with me from America to Australia because I loved it so much. But then I spilled water on my laptop and so it, it just had to get put to the side. I still love it. I just don't use it anymore. I will give it to someone one day as a gift. We are constantly surrounded by non-sentience, like there is no escaping the non-sentient world. It's like it's around us 24 hours a day. We can be being taught the Dharma 24 hours a day. There's just no escaping the non-sentience. We can try to escape sentience, and in many ways, modern society has tried to do that. Put us in boxes, but we can't escape the non-sentience. So we are very fortunate. And it says in this koan, in this, this particular admonition, know the unity of the Dharma teachings of the sentient and the Dharma teachings of the non-sentient. So unity is a, a little bit like, besides unity meaning one, you could also think of it as equal, that there is an equality between the sentience and the non-sentience. We don't need to create a hierarchy of sentience are more important than non-sentience. There isn't anything that's not worthy of our respect and attention. Like anything that comes into our sphere, comes in front of us, we should just gently have respect for it. Whatever it is, piece of paper, plastic bottle that we maybe pick up on a trail. Doesn't have to be pleasant, doesn't even have to be healthy or any of those things. 
but there's nothing that's irrelevant, nothing that isn't worthy of just our simple attention, just our witnessing of its existence. I do have this thought sometimes that just the act of witnessing the existence of something somehow feels very wholesome. The way in which the climate is changing and our environments are under some strain, even if we don't feel able to do anything about it, if, even if we don't feel able to try and change the way we are interacting with our environment, with the, the way the world is interacting with the environment, even if we don't feel able to do anything about it, simply to witness the beauty of anything, a tree, just seems to be like a good idea to me. There's something good and valuable and just witnessing something's existence. And I think we know that personally, like if we are, if you're with someone who is in the process of dying, they, they want you to see them and they want to see you in those last moments, even if you're not doing anything to make them live longer or even to make them more comfortable physically in any way. There's something about simply being witnessed that we like to be witnessed. And so one thing we can do as practitioners is, is be the witness. But not only to our loved ones, to everything, to everything, all the sentience, all the way down to the tiniest little ant, but all the non-sentience too, the furniture in our house, the street sign, Just be aware of its existence. So um, let's see. The, the, the last thing I wanted to, to say about this koan is that in it, it says, work actively for the salvation of beings in other realms. So really what we've just talked about when I've been speaking about sentience and non-sentience, you could say these are like other realms. Of course, there actually aren't other realms, but we do have a general orbit that we function in and there are things that we don't interact with so much or that we don't uh, engage with so much and we can call them other realms. It could be other people in different cultures, different species, different centuries. Nantang is saying, work actively for the salvation of beings in other realms. And this work actively, I think it's good for us to see this is not meaning we need to get busy with our bodies and go out and do anything in particular. We need to work actively in our minds for the salvation of other beings in other realms. Often when we have these instructions about suggesting that we do something like save all beings, like we're going to chant when we finish this evening. It's save the many beings in our minds because it's our minds that drive everything that our body does. If we work on caring about, actively caring about all beings in other realms, sentient and non-sentient, if we cultivate that, that compassion and that care, 
and that awareness, our bodies just naturally follow. We don't really have to make our bodies do anything, although it is good to set ourselves up in Zazen, but it's our mind that brings us to this posture. It's our mind that says, up we get, time to go sit. Our mind says that and then our body swings its legs out of the bed and up it gets. So work actively for the salvation of beings in, all, in other realms, in our minds. And this is the power of our Zazen practice. We're training our minds when we sit in Zazen. So in many ways, this is just a fancy way of saying, <laughs> it's a good idea to pay attention. <laughs> really? Here we are. You might as well look around. You might as well listen and fall in love with it all. Yeah. Because everything is in flux and we're not going to be here for that long. We're just a wave that's going to drop back into the body of water, into the ocean. And everything that we look at and everything that we see will also fall back into this great ocean and rise up again somewhere else as something else. So let's not take any of it for granted and feel no animosity towards anything, no matter how difficult. Be respectful of everyone and everything, no matter how harmful they might be being or it might be being like some toxic chemical. We still don't need to dislike it. We can still pay respect. So I think I will finish there and I'd really like to have some conversation with you all. Please share your thoughts. Why don't you close with the, um, the refuges, the house okay. uh, here. Okay. And, okay. and we'll come back to them after the announcements. Okay, sounds good. Let's pick up my... Here we go. Here's a little non-sentient object that's teaching. <laughs> Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it.